Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning from PIC Classify. I have a great guest joining the show today. But first, I want to remind you all on the West Coast that there's still time to sign up for the Cali Conference at Rancho Mirage, California. If you're interested, go to www.calicali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-2254. 3502254. It's in two weeks, June 8th to the 10th. Great education, great networking. So please come. You'll enjoy it. And so my guest today is Sam Paredes. Good morning, Sam. Good morning. How are you, Francie? I'm really great. It's so nice to have you on the show. <laughs> I, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Well, it's great. And you and I have such an interesting connection. I just, I'm always surprised how people connect. So. <laughs> I know your wife, Lori Paredes, because yes. she used to be chief of staff for Senator Dennis Hollingsworth uh, several years ago, and we crossed paths and uh, became friends, and then you show up at a meeting one night. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, uh, it, it, it gets even more interesting than that. Um, you p- folks were in opposition to a bill that uh, Senator Hollingsworth was carrying, and still you became friends with, with my wife, Lori, which is... Uh, uh, it says a lot for for you folks because you were able to calmly, coolly, and collectively bring some common sense into something that was going on down there. And uh, the the friendship is is very warm. My my wife always talks about the the <laughs> folks she met, you and and some of the other folks there, and how wonderful they were. And, well, uh, and, and she remembers <laughs> you warmly. And it was a contentious bill. It was, uh, it was, it was tough. It was tough, and yep. uh, but it all worked out for everybody. I think. I, I I I sure hope so. <laughs> yeah, and and now now we get to connect, and I and I have I know. with you folks, and it was a wonderful thing. It, yeah, it's great because you know I had never heard of your organization before um, you were at the meeting. So, um, so this is great for the rest of you that are listening. Uh, Sam is the executive director of Gun Owners of California, mm-hmm. and he's been a member for thirty-five years, but he's been executive director for eighteen years. And mm-hmm. so, Sam, tell us what uh, GOC is. What does it do? Sure. GOC, Gun Owners of California, we are the oldest pro-gun political action committee in, in the country, actually. Our founder, Senator H.L. Richardson, um, uh, founded the group back in 1974-1975 uh, when the, the, the idea of, of having to set up political action committees or PACs first became law here in California and in Washington, D.C. after the Nixon-Watergate thing, and they needed campaign finance reform, and they come up with these fancy, fandangled political action committee things. Well, he took advantage of that, started a group uh, in defense of the Second Amendment here in California because there was a bill to ban handguns in, in California, believe it or not, way back then, and, hmm. uh, and we've been fighting... Uh, to protect the Second Amendment in the in the courts, in the elections, and in the legislature ever since 
Um, now everybody has a political action committee, and that's wonderful because they've increased the size of the pie. We haven't sliced the pie into thinner slices. The pie has actually gotten bigger, and now I get opportunities to talk with, with groups like private investigators and tea parties and all kinds of different folks to let them know how what the legislature does affects them in their not only personal lives but in their business lives. So um, that's what we do. We've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, and I I know you're good at it. Uh, I can tell that you're good at what you do. So, uh, obvious question. I you know I'm a neophyte here. So obvious question is how does gun owners of California compare to the NRA? Well, we are <clears throat> completely, totally separate organizations. And and frankly, funny things like we were talking about earlier. Senator Richardson was a a member of the board of directors of the National Rifle Association, and he actually went to his fellow board members and said, hey, do you guys care if I start one of these uh, political action committees out in California? And they said, no, go right ahead. As a matter of fact, use our fundraiser, and, um, you know, let's see what you do. Well, he was so successful in his first year of operations that NRA said, hey, that's a pretty good idea. Let's do it ourselves. And that's when they created the NRA Institute for Legislative Action and their Hmm. Political Victory Fund. And now they are the big 800-pound gorilla, uh, which is fine. But the difference is that we do only... The, strictly the politics. We we do the the, the lobbying in the legislature on on, mm-hmm. on bills. We we work in elections and we work to defend the Second Amendment in the courts. NRA does everything. They do training. They do education. They do oh sure um, everything else. And and so we we focus on what we are good at, and that's the politics. Well, and I know you're a registered lobbyist. Yes, um, I am. And yet that kind of works dove and tail with your position as ED there. Uh, and you, you spend a lot of time going around to groups, really, uh, as you mentioned, all kinds of groups, pros and I'm sure pros and cons groups. <laughs> yeah. that, <laughs> yes, that's absolutely true. <laughs> and, and you know, Francie, um, <clears throat> frankly, people get elected to the legislature, uh, particularly those that are in charge, the, the Democratic majority, not because they are pliable in their, in their philosophies. In, in other words, you're not going to change their minds um, very often, if at all, on, on issues as important as the Second Amendment or, or, or crime or law enforcement or anything like that. They are there because they believe the way they believe, and if they were to change their position, the leadership would make sure that they would no longer be there. Mm-hmm. So um, we understand that, so we have to still go before them and testify and give the truth, um, even though we know we're going to lose. Since we can't change their minds, then we have to change the people that are there, and that's why we work in the election so so much to try to send people there who who uh, believe like we do, and then we keep their feet to the fire to make sure they don't change their positions. Um, and, and and frankly, we understand that our audience for what we have to share is not just there in the legislature. It's people, organizations that are affected, different groups of of folks, um, the media. Uh, the governor's office, and that's why we go around and spread um, the, the gospel of the Bill of Rights and 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 the the, the Second Amendment to anybody who's willing to to hear or debate. So that's what we do. Well, and and Sam, you really um, because as you know, I do I work on legislation as well. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not a lobbyist, but I you know do that a lot. Um, you have the same 
I think mission that private investigators do in educating people what it's all about because we have that same problem with mm-hmm. a, uh, um, you know, we always carry the TV myth of who we're supposed to be that we really aren't around with us, and and I think I think you're dealing with the kind of the same many times misperceptions. Francie, that is absolutely correct. When you take into account that there are what somewhere around forty million people in California. Um, maybe a little less than half of them are actually gun owners, and a very small portion of those people that are gun owners are actually activists and informed. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of educating to do. Um, you know, they, they hear buzzwords like gun control and universal background checks and all that stuff, and they say, well, that sounds like a real practical idea. But when you get into the details of what it is that they're trying to do, people say, oh, now that I know, I'm absolutely against that. With regards to to private investigators, oh my gosh, over the short period of time that I have been exposed to what it is that you folks do and the essential role that you play in our justice system Mm -hmm. um, in in California and throughout the nation, people don't know. They just get their impression from watching TV, and that is so far from from reality. What you guys do... Uh, are the things that law enforcement is unwilling to do or cannot do because they don't have the the budget resources, uh, and and you are an essential part of the justice system. But the vast majority of people don't understand that. The more right. and more they they learn the truth, the more and the more they say, "Hey, we need these people around." And we, you know, when I have a, an investigator working for me, I don't need them to be encumbered by all kinds of rules and regulations by the legislature. I need them to do the best job they can for me. Same exactly. thing with our gun rights. Exactly. Uh, that's so true. And I um, I appreciate that we're on the same page with that because we we have to work both sides of the aisle. So mm-hmm. even if you know that you're going to hit a brick wall when you mm-hmm. go testify on a bill or you're, you're meeting with people regarding the content of a bill, you have to be able to maintain rela- relationships with both of those parties all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's it's sometimes hard. <laughs> that's that's really true. The 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 advantage that 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 the private investigators have is that um, when you get to go and talk to the other side, and they the 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 leadership doesn't have a position on on one of your issues except for a knee jerk reaction, and you have the opportunity to share with them <coughs> what the truth is. Excuse me. And, and what it is that you're really doing and how you are being affected by legislation and how it impacts even their constituents and maybe even themselves, mm-hmm. you have an opportunity to, to, uh, to, to maybe sway and at least get some open minds uh, to, to support your efforts. In our case, the Second Amendment has become such a galvanizing issue that um, I, I try to maintain a, a civil relationship with, with our opponents, but usually in committee when they say something that is wholly untrue, uh, I, 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 I bring them to task on that, and, and they don't really like it. So when I come around the corner, they look at me like, uh-oh, here comes the devil incarnate. Here, here um, comes and, trouble. And but th- that is what it is, and, and um, um, we still talk to them. We still provide them with information. They know the truth, and if they're willing to n- not tell the truth, even though we know they know what the truth is, uh, we call them on that, and so our our relationship is very antagonistic with our opponents, but that doesn't stop us and shouldn't stop us from doing what we do. That's for, that's right, and 
And, you know, I, I suspect that the majority of people, um, majority of lay people, including the legislature, have no idea that private inve- many private investigators uh, carry weapons, uh, carry them for personal protection, mm-hmm. have them with them the majority of the time they're working. Mm-hmm. That would be, a, I'm sure, a great surprise to many people. And, uh, and so, you know, we kind of have to tread lightly because these folks that care, you know, these private investigators that are out in various neighborhoods and are mm-hmm. many times risking, could be risking their lives, have to have mm-hmm. protection. No question about it. This is an issue. The issue of self-defense and personal protection is one that cuts across all economic lines, all racial lines, all uh, occupational lines, everybody. Uh, and, and if you um, are, are, have chosen to be in, a, in an occupation where you are required to place yourself into danger, all the more reason that, that the rights that are ascribed to us by our Bill of Rights and the Second Amendment uh, should be protected and utilized uh, for, for your benefit. And, and um, we are very, very willing to make sure that, that we fight for the, the, the Second Amendment rights of everybody. Um, and that includes those people that are private investigators. A lot of folks who are private investigators don't realize that, that a lot of the gun bills that are making it through the legislature will affect them. That, you know, there's some folks are under the misperception that, well, we're, we're different and we're going to be treated differently. Well, in many cases, you're not. Um, mm-hmm. Many of the bills that are going through the legislature right now, Francie, are going to affect your members. They are going to have to go through background checks like anybody else just to have the privilege of buying ammunition uh, in California. They are not going to be able to go and order ammunition from outside of California or buy it outside of California and bring it back in without breaking the law. And your folks cannot break the law. They have to be uh, right. completely law-abiding, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, keeping the high moral ground because it's the nature of your job. And when the government puts you at a disadvantage and says, well, now your ammunition is going to cost 10 15 $20, $50 more per box, and you're going to have to go through regular background checks with fingerprints um, uh, in order for you to buy ammunition or the magazines that you have for your legally purchased and known firearms are going to be illegal and they're going to force you to go out and get different magazines and destroy uh, or turn into the police those magazines that that came standard with your guns. Um, like I said, it affects everybody and, and, and people need to need to understand that, that uh, the legislature is out to get all of us who are gun owners, whether for professional purposes or for individual personal perspectives. So um, you mentioned background checks, Sam. What What is involved in a background check? What, well, what is required? <laughs> tell, tell us the process. Well, um, you pay your, your $50. Uh, if, if some of the legislation that is going through uh, right now, it's, it's the same as when you buy a gun, uh, kind of, sort of. When you buy a gun, you fill out the dealer record of sales form. It's got all of your personal information. It is submitted to the state. It includes a thumbprint. Um, they do a background check on, on when you're buying a, uh, a firearm through the NIC system, which, which you folks are familiar with. Um, but the NIC system in California can only be used uh, to check backgrounds for firearms purchases. The federal government doesn't allow California or the Department of Justice to use that NIC system in order to 
uh, do background checks for ammunition purchases or any other purpose. So the Department of Justice has to develop a whole new system to to do the, these enhanced background checks. They have to assemble in California a duplicate of what the federal government has in their NIC system in order to conduct a thorough background check. They check all your priors. They check all your medical history. They check all of your, um, you know, any court status that's that's outstanding. Um, and 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 then they tell you uh, whether you have the privilege of buying a gun or buying ammunition in the state of California. Uh, and, and you would think that, well, at some point you buy a box of ammunition and you shoot it and, and it, you know, you buy another box of ammunition and you go through another background check um, and you shoot it and, and you still have a, a box of ammo. Well, they accumulate those records. There's no provision of the law to delete those records. So after a couple of years, some of your private investigators will 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 look to the government like, oh my gosh, these people have purchased 10,000 rounds of ammunition in a couple of years. What are they doing with all of that ammunition? All of a sudden, it kind of gives the government the perspective of we need to be investigating these people that are buying all this ammunition, never thinking that people buy the ammunition and they shoot it. And then they buy more ammunition and they shoot it, um, you know, and, and so it, it becomes an untenable situation for law-abiding citizens. And we, we put ourselves under the microscope if we don't fight uh, this government intrusion that doesn't make any sense and does nothing to go after criminals. As a matter of fact, Francie, I, I'm sure your, your, your members know that this legislature is, is working double time to prevent people from being charged with crimes or sending them to prison for committing crimes. They are, in fact, changing the definition of crimes to keep people from, from being arrested and being sent to prison or jail. Um, the, the crimes that are being committed are the same crimes that were committed last year are being committed this year, but now the penalties for committing those crimes are reduced, and it makes it look like crime is going down when, in fact, it isn't in any way, shape, or form. It's actually on the increase. Hmm. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah. Huh. Well, it, it used to be that, you know, when you stole any gun, it was a felony. It was mm-hmm. charged as a felony, was reported as a felony, was recorded by the Department of Justice as a felony. Well, now that it's a misdemeanor, there is a completely different reporting system, and there's no accumulation of that information in order to add it to the criminal statistics. So when you take out... And again, the same number of crimes are being committed by the same people. We're just calling them something different and no longer recording those incidences of crime in our record-keeping system. So it looks like crime is going down when, in fact, that is that is so far from the truth, it's ridiculous. That boggles my mind, but we need to take a break. And Sam, we're going to be back in a few minutes with Sam Paredes. <laughs> The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. 
It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Sam Paredes is the executive director of Gun Owners of California, and he's the go-to man in California when it comes to the topic of guns. Sam, when we were talking about um, the, all the laws that restrict guns, and, and I, I'm concerned that maybe some of the people that aren't gun owners uh, don't know what the NICS system is. Could you just explain what that is a little bit? Sure. And, and you know what? Um, all people who are not gun owners... Those of you especially pay attention. You have rights as as American citizens and as legal residents of Cal- of, of America and California. Those rights are yours, and um, whether you choose to exercise that right, that is your that is a right that you have. But to think that it's okay to let somebody take away those rights, whether you choose to exercise them or not, is something that you really have to give pause over. Because if they can infringe on your Second Amendment rights, they can infringe on your First Amendment rights, or your Third or Fourth or Fifth Amendment rights, or your Sixth Amendment rights, or they can abridge the the Tenth Amendment rights and say that states can't do all of the things that that uh, that our Constitution says that they can do. So. Even though you don't exercise a right, that doesn't mean that it isn't precious to you and that you shouldn't pay attention to that. Um, we, we, we are known for being supporters of the Second Amendment, but that is the tip of the iceberg. That is where we concentrate on making sure that all of our rights are protected. Our, our 14th Amendment rights of due process, um, all, of, all of the rights need to be uh, defended and protected. Those are precious things that we have in our pocket, uh, and, and we have to protect that whether we choose to show it to anybody or utilize it or not. So, um, you know, uh, it's something that, that folks need, need to think about. Now, those of you who do choose to exercise your Second Amendment rights, 
um, there's something that you can do to, to fight to protect those rights um, as a private citizen or as a PI or as a business person or as a retired person or uh, whatever it is. Um, you need to, to, to fight the legislature. Francie, I need to share with your with your with your listeners the perspective that is alive and well in the state legislature when the chairman of the Assembly Public Safety Committee says that um, we pass laws in California because we're California and that's what we do. We don't pay attention to the Constitution. When mm, they really? have that perspective. Oh my gosh, it should open everybody's eyes to, well, what about my First Amendment rights of association or freedom of religion or freedom of speech or, or anything else? If they think they can do that with the second, why can't they do that with the first or anything else? And that is exactly the perspective that we are fighting in the state legislature. You know, Sam, I'm going to give you a new title. It's, I'm okay. going to call you a constitutionalist. <laughs> <laughs> I accept that title willingly and with, with, with great honor and humility. That's, that's awesome. Because okay. <laughs> uh, you're so passionate you, and you so much believe in, in what you're doing. And it's wonderful to see somebody that takes on any issue. It doesn't matter what the issue is, but takes on an issue that's important to them and really carries it forward and does something about it. I so respect that. Um, so... Let's let's go back to the um, background check again because. Uh, mm-hmm. So you said a thumbprint. Mm-hmm. Does that does that give um, the system? I guess you called it the NICS system. Does that give them enough information from just a thumbprint? Well, with a with a with a thumbprint. Um, and all of the other information that you have to write down on these forms under penalty of perjury, whether okay. it's a state form or a federal form, uh, it gives them uh, enough information for them to be able to to reference all of the various databases that they have. And, Francie, your folks more than anybody are, are, are probably aware that a lot of the databases that the Department of Justice uses are woefully fraught with errors and problems or, mm. or, or incomplete. You know, there are many cases when people go to buy a gun and they go through all the background check and they get back and they say, we're going to put a hold on yours because we don't know if you're a law-abiding citizen. Well, it's because, you know, when they were 17 or 18 years old, they might have gotten into some sort of a scuffle and uh, a foul from the law mm-hmm. and were charged, but never convicted of a crime uh, or, or the, the, the judge dismissed the issue, um, that fact is rarely transmitted to the Department of Justice for your records to be clean. In the past, what Department of, of uh, Justice agents used to do is they used to go to the courts and find the resolution of what happened. Oh, the judge dismissed this, or there was charged, but no, no penalties or no convictions, wherever level these people are, are considered law-abiding citizens. Nowadays, DOJ says, we don't have the staff to go out and do all of that investigative work. So you know what? If your rights are being infringed and you think it's wrong, you hire an attorney, you hire an investigator mm-hmm. to go out and find the resolution as to what happened to your cases and bring it to us, and we will consider it to see if you are a law-abiding citizen or not. Right. So, um, you know, and, and, and here's, the, here's the bottom line of this whole background check thing. People say, 
well, we should do these background checks in order to prevent criminals from, from, from getting guns and ammunition. What other right do we have in our Constitution that requires us to be a law-abiding citizen before we exercise a, a, a constitutional right? Do they license reporters before mm-hmm. they write in newspapers exercising their First Amendment rights? No. Mm-hmm. And we know that a lot of reporters are knuckleheads, uh, and then a lot of stuff <laughs> that they report is not truthful. It's been proven out in many, many, many cases. But are, uh, do they go to stop somebody from doing that? No. This is a situation, this is the only right that we have where the government says, you have to prove to us that you are a law-abiding citizen before we're going to allow you to exercise your constitutional right. That's kind of backwards in our mind. Frankly, we think that if a criminal does avail themselves of a gun, at that point they have committed a crime or somebody who shouldn't get a gun, at that point they've, they've committed a crime, and then you need to investigate them and charge them with, with the commission of a crime. But mm-hmm. right now, our system with regards to the Second Amendment is all about pre-knowledge. You know, we are going to, mm-hmm. you, know, you are guilty until, prove, uh, until you prove that you are innocent. And, and uh, um, if they apply that same perspective to any of our other constitutional rights, it, it, it's going to, it's going to create a problem. Uh, again, my my very shallow experience with 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 private investigators is that you know the, when they can get information on background checks and investigations and stuff like that, oftentimes the information that's collected is 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 inaccurate or incomplete and needs more work in order to get a full and honest picture. Right. Um, yeah. And again, the government used to do that stuff, but now they'd say, ah, we don't have time, staff, or money to do that, so you guys go do it yourself, and when you prove that you are law-abiding, then you can, you can exercise your right, but you have to prove it to us first. We've got a problem with that. Well, and, and you're right, Sam, because proving it is, is always an adverse, adversarial uh, position, because Absolutely. in proving it, you have to show that, that the government or whoever was wrong Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's an uphill battle, no yeah. matter how you cut it. it. Never wants to think that it was wrong, that it was incomplete, that it was, um, you know, uh, somehow lax in their in their effort. They they fight that tooth and nail, and mm-hmm. and um, but that is the reality of what we have to do given the system that we have, and and people have to be willing to do that because nobody wants to live knowing that the government thinks that they're a criminal when they're really not. And Francie, come on. Uh, do any of these laws stop any uh, criminal from, from getting anything they want? The laws don't prevent criminals from getting all the drugs or illegal stuff brought into California or into the country and doing their criminal acts, um, although we, it's illegal. All of these things are illegal. Still, they do it. <clears throat> what makes anybody think that any of the laws that are passed restricting gun ownership are going to prevent criminals from getting guns, frankly? Every one of the laws that are uh, being proposed and have been proposed and signed into law only affect law-abiding citizens like right. you and me. Yeah. They don't affect criminals and all because at all because they don't they don't comply with the laws in the first place. That's I mean they're criminals by definition. So <laughs> excuse me. So why do we sit idly by and let the, the the legislature and the Congress pass laws that really only infringe on our rights? The vast majority of people, 40 million guns in California, 400 million guns in America, less than 
1% of guns are ever used in the commission of a crime. So you're going to castigate the owners of 40 million guns in California because less than 1% of the people misuse them. That is just plain flat out wrong. So what is driving this is fear. Well, yes. You know, um, it, it's interesting you bring that up. Uh, just uh, uh, day before yesterday, I was in a, in a, in a, in a hearing uh, for a House resolution calling for a day of remembrance for gun violence. And I testified that the Center for Disease Control, the National Institute of Health, the National Science Foundation pointed out that um, in their investigations, at very least, and very probably, far more people use a gun uh, in a defensive use um, to protect themselves than there are crimes committed. And and one of the members of the committee uh, got up and said, "Well, you know, the, the the CDC report has been has been criticized as being wrong and and incorrect, and and um, and we don't see any hard evidence that law-abiding citizens use guns to to defend themselves." Well. He, he was wrong. The CDC report and the NIH report and the uh, National Science Foundation reports were not criticized. What was criticized was a study, a private study done by Dr. Kleck that pointed out that in their opinion, three million times a year, law-abiding citizens in America use guns to successfully defend themselves. And even Attorney General Janet Reno, under the Clinton administration, after playing with the numbers, said that at least 1.5 million times a year, law-abiding citizens use guns to to protect themselves. Uh, but but the legislature drives the fear that that guns are the the root of all evil and everything that happens bad in in California. Therefore, we need all of these all of these gun laws. And and you know that here in California we have more gun laws than any other state in the country. Uh, but still, they find more ways of 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 restricting the rights of law-abiding citizens. So the fight goes on. Well, and one of the concerns I know that uh, members of California Association of Licensed Investigators have is this this uh, requirement in a lot of scenarios where you have, if you're carrying your gun, and most people, I think you would probably agree with this, most people who carry a gun in, in, in their work uh, put it on in the morning, when they get up, when they dress, and they take it off when they go to bed at night. Mm-hmm. So there's, in many situations now, there's a requirement where you're car- carrying your weapon on your hip, and um, most likely it's a concealed weapon because you have a, a right to you have the right to carry a concealed weapon, and mm-hmm. then you have to put it in your tr- the trunk of your car mm-hmm. when you go on to a place like a school ground or you know, into a government office or anything like that. How do, what do you feel about How do you feel about that? Well, we, we don't think that it's, that it's constitutionally correct to require people to, to lock up their personal protection. Um, uh, and, and, and the interesting thing about this, Francie, is I would guess, because I haven't investigated the, the records of, of all licensed uh, private investigators who carry mm-hmm. guns, but what is true is that among CCW holders, carry concealed weapons permit holders, they are the most law-abiding citizens of any cross-section or group in society. They are 
they comply with the laws, they don't abuse the, 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 the fact that they're carrying firearms over and over and year and year after year, that fact has been proven right. Um, you know, you can be assaulted in a government building. You can, as a matter of fact, those are target-rich environments for, for uh, acts of terrorism or acts of, of criminal insanity, post offices, school grounds, um, where the vast majority of all atrocities occur in these areas that are called gun-free zones, places where, where licensed people cannot carry their guns, even though the government has done the background check, they've vetted them, they've been trained, they've been licensed, they've been all of these things, but they say, oh, uh, but you're not, it's not okay for you, and even under all those circumstances, to carry in some of these places. And I would venture to guess that a lot of work that uh, PIs do are, are have to be conducted in schools and, and, and office buildings and, and, and things like that where they have to lock up their safety in their trunk or in a lock mm-hmm. container in their vehicle in order to conduct their business. And that's just plain flat out wrong. And, uh, well, we, we, have a, we have a problem with that. And the other piece of that is who are you putting at risk when somebody's seeing you lock it in the trunk of your car like the guy in San Francisco who had yeah. his um, weapons stolen. His the federal officer had a weapon stolen out of his trunk, and it ended mm-hmm. up killing the woman on the pier. Duh. I mean, you know that's <laughs> it, that's a, a a a perfect example that the laws and regulations of the state of California create more problems than they solve. Yeah, they yeah. create more danger. They put people in peril more so than 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 than. They don't protect people. In fact, they do exactly the opposite. We, we testify often that, in fact, many of these gun laws are going to create, by definition, more victims because there are fewer people who can respond to an act of, of crime or an act of violence. Yeah. And you know what? The, the vast majority of people will never have to experience something like that. That's not quite so true with private investigators, but for the, the rest of society, uh, because of the nature of the work in the areas that you work in. But the reality is that it can happen to every, anybody, everybody, mm-hmm. in places where you, where you wouldn't imagine. San Bernardino, tell me that any one of those people that were going to that Christmas party thought that their life might be in danger in any way, shape, or form. What might have happened if a law-abiding citizen had been there with a licensed concealed carry firearm and was able to respond to the act of terrorism that occurred? How many lives might have been saved? One thing for sure, the fact that there were no guns available and nobody trained to be able to respond, the number of deaths were, were, were what they were. They were, they were horrific. And, and no one was able to respond until way after the fact, after they committed their atrocities. So, you know, you're right. I mean, we, we need to think about these things in real, real terms. Fascinating, Sam. I, I mean, it, it, it does give me a whole different perspective as well, just, just hearing you explain these kind of things. And we need to take another break, though. That was Sam Peretta speaking on behalf of gun owners. Stay tuned. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Today's program features Sam Paredes, a well-respected gun advocate from California. And, you know, Sam, one of the controversial issues has been that all of these shootings across the country, Newtown, um, Columbine, San Bernardino that you just mentioned, all the shootings, shootings, the one in Santa Barbara, that was a big one, um, usually are, are happen from somebody who's mentally ill. Um, yes. I can't think of one that hasn't been that kind of a situation where the person's mentally ill. And so they're required to fill out the medical history on their application for the gun. Mm-hmm. And, they, and, it, and all of these people, for the most part, have had legal firearms mm-hmm. <laughs> on top of that. So, mm-hmm. so how do you handle that situation? Because Well, the, the, that is evidence that the system that we have in place, doing background checks and, and filling out these forms, uh, make absolutely no difference to people that are committed to, to, to uh, committing a crime. Uh, an act of violence, an act of terrorism. These laws, they aren't even speed bumps in preventing them from from uh, committing these acts. Um, you know, Senator Richardson, when he served in the legislature for 22 years, for several years he went to all of the state prisons and he interviewed prisoners and he asked them, if I were to drop you blindfolded in any town or any county in the state of California, how long would it take you to get uh, a firearm? Oh, and five minutes. <laughs> the average time was between 15 and 45 minutes they can get a firearm and all the ammunition yeah. that they needed um, right. uh, to, through, through the black market. Um, you know, but, but for us, we have to do background checks. We have to do 10-day waiting periods. If some of the legislation passes, we are going to only be allowed to buy one gun of any kind per month. We ha- we're limited in the number of, of rounds our magazines can hold. Um, 
if we have a gun lost or stolen and we don't report it in the time frame that the government thinks we should have known, then we become the criminals. We, we go from victims to criminals. And, and so um, the laws are, are, are all backwards. Every one of the incidents, yes, when the legislature puts its attention on mental health issues and criminal issues, then we will see real progress in reducing gun violence, which are criminal acts. But as long as they put all of their attention on guns and legal gun ownership, uh, there, there's going to be no impact on the number of crimes that are committed by, by criminals. Francie, the legislature avoids dealing with mental health issues with regards to criminal acts like the plague. They're doing everything they can to let people out of prison, even if they've committed violent acts, as opposed to separating them from society, because records indicate that most violent crimes are committed with people by people who have multiple felonies and have been in prison or jail in the past, and are, are, it is illegal for them to own firearms, and still they avail themselves of, of guns and commit their crimes. So when the legislature puts its attention on, on dealing with mental health and dealing with, with, with uh, uh, actual acts of crime, then they will see some progress. But until then, we're fighting the same fight, more gun control in order to stop gun violence, and it has zero impact. As a matter of fact, they keep creating places like you mentioned, Columbine and, and Sandy Hook and, and Santa Barbara and all of these places, schools that are target-rich environments for the mentally in, uh, uh, insane or the, the criminals because they know they can commit their crimes there and not, be, not face any opposition um, because they know that nobody else there can fight back. Uh, you look at, you know, over 90% of all of the, the uh, major acts of uh, mass violence have been committed in gun-free zones. Why doesn't anybody pay attention to that? Why don't they care? Well, they don't care because they want to control guns. Ultimately, they want to control guns because they want to control people. And they know that as long as they, they uh, 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 law-abiding citizens have guns, those that are in power in the legislature cannot control the populace the way they want to. So what would you do, Sam, to, to address the mentally ill issue? Well, <clears throat> that's going to take a, a, a lot of work because we have other laws that impact that, privacy laws, doctor-patient relationships, mm-hmm. um, uh, attorney-client relationships where, where there are medical officials and, and, and legal officials who cannot or will not share information about their clients with law enforcement uh, because of the, the oaths that they take and, and the liability that they expose themselves if they do that. If a mental health official reports somebody who ultimately turns out not to be a problem, it was a, a, a mis-evaluation or they somehow in the translation they, they thought they were a danger when in fact they're not, they'd be sued out of business. So yeah. we've, we've created a system that is, that is rigged for failure. We need to fix that. I'm not a mental health expert. I'm not an expert on, on how all of the laws that affect mental health um, uh, are in place and how they affect. I just know that they are broken and they need to be addressed by the legislature if they are sincere in, in, in reducing the number of crimes committed by those uh, with, with, with mental problems. But in fact, you know, 
they're 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 not only slipping through the cracks, they are gaping holes that they are that they are taking advantage of in order to commit their crimes. So, um, you know, I I don't have all the answers. I just know that if we don't pay any attention to that, we will never find the answers. And and that's yeah. what the legislature has chosen to do is not pay any attention to that. Well, it seems like the biggest piece. I mean, I'm, the Riverside situation was that that was terrorist. So that's kind of a different category. But mm-hmm. all the rest of them that we've talked about, those were um, people that were mentally ill that hadn't been identified as mentally ill. That's correct. As, the, the kids in Columbine were on on uh, on, on uh, mental medications. Um, the, the 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 folks and the, the the guy in in. Um, um, Sandy Hook had a record of, of, of mental issues. Some of it reported. Some of it we found out after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, the the uh, the the young man who who man the, the the monster who committed the crime down in Santa Barbara. The system actually worked. The parents thought that this individual, their son, right, that was dangerous to himself, others. They reported it. The police came and did a physical face-to-face interview with the guy, they said, well, we don't see any indication that, he, that he's in any sort of trouble or, or has any mental issues or depression or anything like that. And then he went on to, to, to commit his, his atrocities. So somehow the whole system isn't working. Now, coming up with gun violence restraining orders, again, that's a misdirected uh, approach to this thing because that presupposes that the people who are asking for a GVRO have to know that the person they're getting one uh, against is a gun owner, and the parents of the of the of their son in in Santa Barbara didn't know that that their son owned a gun, so a GVRO would not have even even applied yeah. in that situation. Right. Um, so it's I don't have all the answers. I just know that the direction we are going in is wrong because it only places attention on the law-abiding citizens like you and me. Uh, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a struggle. So switching gears a little bit, because we only have a few minutes left, Sam, um, can you address the um, the law, the federal law that allows folks to carry across state lines? Because I know there's a lot of confusion about that. There is no such thing as a national concealed carry weapons permit. There are special provisions under federal law for law enforcement officers who are crossing state lines when they are in the in the commission of of, of uh, uh, their employment. They can carry, but when they're not, if they're visiting Disneyland or something like that, they are not allowed to carry. There are states that issue concealed weapons permits, and they recognize the permits from other states. It's called reciprocity. Mm-hmm. So if you have a Utah um, uh, concealed weapon, as a Californian, I have a concealed weapons permit in Utah. I've never resided in Utah. But that gives me the ability to carry in, in um, uh, over a do- several dozen states. You can get one from Florida, from Nevada, and Utah. You have the ability to legally carry a concealed weapons permit in 41 states. The only responsibility you have is to uh, educate yourself on the particular concealed weapons permit laws of the state that you are carrying in. But w- w- 
our, our sister organization, Gun Owners of America, is pushing a national reciprocity bill that says that anybody who has a concealed weapons permit in their own state, it is applicable everywhere, like a marriage license or a driver's license or any mm-hmm. other license. Um, and, and unfortunately, we think that if it makes it to a, President Obama's desk, he will be to it. But Lord willing, we will have a president in the future who will sign something like that. Um, and so it's... Uh, do not think that it, just because you have a CCW in California that allows you to carry in another state, uh, that that is just not the fact. You have to learn the, the laws and the rules and the regulations. Get educated. Call Gun Owners of California, 916-984-400. Go to our website, gunownersca.com, or Google Gun Owners of California, and get the information off of our website. And if the information you need isn't there, Call us in the office and we will get that information to you because the last thing we want is any of your members, um, any uh, listeners who, who are not PIs but, but want to comply with the laws, as we all do, we're the law-abiding, avail yourself of the information and call us and we will help you to navigate through the morass of, of gobbledygook that, that we call you know, laws scattered throughout the country. Can you, you said those that number of the website so fast, Sam? I'm not sure anybody got it. Could you repeat them? Let me let me get it. Our phone number is nine one six nine eight four one four zero zero. Our website is gunownersca.com. G U N O W N E R S C A dot com or Google Gun Owners of California, and uh, and that'll. You'll be able to go to our website, get information. We have uh, links to other organizations and, and attorneys that will help you figure out what the, what the laws are as they affect you. And, and, and we are in the information business, just like you are with your show. And, and, and by the way, Francie, I want to thank you and encourage you to continue to, to, to shed light on the law so that the law-abiding can continue to be law-abiding and they will become aware of the things they need to fight for in order to continue to be a law-abiding citizens and not allow the government to take away their rights. I appreciate that. And, you know, uh, you, you mentioned that the, uh, the federal law, isn't it referred to as LEOSA or something like that? Yes. The LEOSA um, bill it applies to law enforcement officers in, in while they are in um, uh, in the act of exercising their duties, um, uh, doesn't so it also uh, apply to retired law enforcement? Because I'm looking uh, at an article here about that. Yes, yeah. what 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 it does for retired is, in particular, it it requires the states to issue CCWs to retired law enforcement officers uh, for, with a five year license um, to be able to carry. Uh, even if you are in a, in a no-issue state or a shall-issue state or a limited-issue state, uh, that's what it does. But it doesn't give you the right to to necessarily carry uh, across the country. Uh, only for law enforcement officers who are in the commission of their of their duties uh, can they actually carry concealed um, uh, across uh, state borders. Okay. Okay. Thanks for that clarification. Mm-hmm. Well, this has uh, certainly been a mouthful today, Sam. I appreciate you being on the show. Uh, you're, you're such an engaging uh, advocate for, for your mission, and I, I so much appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I just want to shout out to my sponsors, Jimmy and Rosemary Messis, publishers of PI Magazine. <laughs> 
If you're interested in advertising, you can let me know or contact my wonderful producer, Sandra Rogers, at voiceamerica.com. And to everybody, tune in again next week as we declassify topics of interest for private investigators and the world. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.